0: Hey, everyone. It's Adam Farkas, and across the table from me, as usual, is Paul Farkas. Hi, everyone. And today we've got a great show for you. We have Tom Bowman. Say hi, Tom.
1: How's everybody doing?
0: All right. Well, Tom, as everyone knows, is a nationally known optometric consultant. He's a speaker, and he's the founder of Practice Mentors. And of course, if you're a member of POP, you've known Tom for a very long time. He's helped innumerable uh, POP members with tricky situations that they may have had in practice. And today we're going to talk about sort of the the flip side of billing and coding that we've been talking about is how to professionally offer advice on eyewear. So we know that 50% or more of, of most of the income that an optometrist makes comes from materials. And the question is, how do you really actually make recommendations to patients without feeling bad about it, without feeling like a salesperson? So Tom is going to be here with us today to sort of talk us through this process and, and how to do it properly. So, Tom, thanks so much for being here today.
1: Well, I want to thank all of you for having me on. And, uh, uh, you know, I've got to give a huge amount of kudos to both of you uh, and the OD wire because, uh, I mean, it, what a great portal to have. And, and it's, it's just done some fantastic things for optometry, in my opinion.
0: Oh, thanks. Thank you. So, Tom, let me kick things off by just asking, um, why do you think that there are many ODs out there who might be reluctant to make recommendations to their patients for a particular uh, type of product.
1: Yeah. And you know what? I see it all the time. Um, I, I'd say the number one reason is they simply don't want to sound like a salesperson. Or there's a lot of busy optometrists too that just feel that they don't have the time. I mean, they're running patients in, kind of herding them in and herding them out and and uh, feel like they're making some good money that way. But uh, that's, a, that's a tough way. But again, I, I would say that a lot of doctors just feel like they don't have the time. Um, you know, speaking of, of doctors that don't, or they hurt a lot of patients through their practices, um, you know, I can say that, honestly say that, uh, there's been times where I've worked with practices that we've intentionally cut back the number of patients that the doctor sees in order to have a couple of extra minutes to make recommendations. And then when that happens, I see their per-patient revenue many times, uh, you know, increasing to $100 and sometimes even over that. So uh, uh, it's pretty amazing. Uh, but, but there's a there's a fine line between seeing too many patients and not enough, obviously. But uh, uh, but I, I definitely think that that more than anything, it's I don't want to sound like a salesperson. So, um, and what we're going to be talking about today is is uh, a concept that I've come up with quite a few years back that that works really good because what it is, it, it's selling without actually selling. And what I mean by that, uh, I remember some years back when when first getting into the optometric business that you know the it, the business owners or the practice owners would sometimes send the opticians to sales training courses and you know the big thing back then was how to close the sale well with what we're going to talk about today i think you're going to quickly realize that that we don't need to have sales tactics or gimmicks or, or anything like that um, if we do it properly the doctor's just going to make the recommendations on what he or she feels is the best remedy for that particular situation, then the optician, all they have to do from then on is just demonstrate what the doctor recommended. And, you know, when they demonstrate it, that's not selling. It it shifts into another paradigm and that paradigm is educating.
0: Right. And in fact, you just brought up an important issue. So when the doctor is actually making these recommendations, do you typically have the dispenser there at at the OD side? How does this work? What would you recommend?
1: Yeah, you know, it's a great, that's a great question. If, I would say if the doctor is is seeing enough patients, they can honestly justify even having a scribe. Now, there's a lot of optometrists think, well, that's another complete full-time equivalent because that all that staff member does is follow me around all day long, and you know makes notes and stuff like that, and then they can either work with the patient afterwards and and uh, you know help them with their frame selection and then get back to the next patient that's somewhat of a luxury i'd say busy practices it's it's great but for smaller practices that's pretty much a luxury um but there's other ways to to correct this and that is to simply um well gosh i i know some people that bought pretty elaborate expensive uh paging systems And uh, so in other words, if you wanted a particular staff member, you would go ahead and page them in the examination room. They would come in and then hear the recommendation at that time. And that concept is really cool because if you can summon or if the doctor can summon the staff member to come in right around three to four minutes before they actually need that optician to come in, then there's a pretty good chance that that optician is going to be able to hear the the recommendations at exactly the same time the patient hears the recommendations, which is pretty cool. And um, the, the problem again with that is paging systems are pretty expensive, and uh, I I know some doctors that have guinea pig this by simply going to Lowe's or Home Depot and getting a twenty five dollar wireless doorbell that has a doorbell for the front door and the back door. So in other words, the front door goes ding-dong and the, the back door button only goes ding. So the doctors mount those underneath the counter in their examination room. And again, three or four minutes before they actually need the staff member, they go ahead and summon, you know, one maybe being a contact lens technician, two being a, a an optician. And, you know, the, the doorbell itself could be in the laboratory area, could be at the front desk area, kind of maybe muffled inside of a cabinet, maybe a towel draped around it, something like that. And and what a great signaling system. But um, more than anything, I would say that there needs to be a communication between the optician and the doctor, and sometimes that's just not possible. You know, the the staff member or the optician might be at a lunch break, might be sick for that day, who knows what. So I think, you know, if you if you can't afford a signaling system, anything like that, just making sure that the doctor either writes down the recommendations in the software system cause in other words, if they've got the patient's uh, information in the laptop in the examination room, they just simply go to the net, notes section and put in what they recommended. So... And I recommend them too that to do it simply. Don't write it out longhand anything like that. Just if it's anti-reflective coating, they just put AR on it. If it's computer glasses, it'll just say CO. And if it'll if it's transitions, it'll say TR. If it's golfing glasses, it's GO and stuff like that. So that way, when the optician does meet up with the patient, especially if they're working with somebody else, they can just go right to the computer. Or if the doctor's still using paper notes, they can do it by hand. And that way, the optician can come up to the, to the uh, patient, introduce themselves, and say, let's take a look and see what, exactly what the doctor recommended for you. Right. So that way, you're not going to skip a beat.
2: Right. So, you know, one more question I have. I, I've never been a very good salesperson. I've always felt very uncomfortable selling. Um, so, how, what is an OD, when they, an OD makes recommendations, how can you get them away from feeling like a salesperson?
1: Uh, yeah, that's a, that's a million-dollar question. Well, first off, the doctor has to believe deep down in their heart that what they're doing is not selling, and they're not doing it on the premise of making more money. You know, you guys have heard this years ago that, that if you go into a business, no matter what kind of business you go into, but if your primary goal is to make money, there's an 80% chance that you'll go out of business. So the same thing happens here. If your primary focus is to make money by making these recommendations, you're, you're missing the boat. You have to deep down in your heart think to yourself that my recommendations to the patient is going to help them with their quality of life. And all of a sudden, things change. So, but more than anything, first off, you've got to have that right mental attitude. And, you know, I've always said this, too, that making money is a byproduct of excellent patient care. You do an excellent job for each and every patient, that money is going to follow. It always does. But more than anything, the doctor has to, rec- to realize that when a patient comes into their office and sits down in the examination chair, they're actually hiring that doctor for a service, and they're actually hiring for three different things. Now, the funny thing is, each one of these things that they hire the doctors for have exactly the same value. Okay, so what are the three things? The first one is the refraction. In other words, they need to know, hey, doctor, what numbers do I need to put in front of my eyes, be it in contact lenses or eyeglasses? that's going to enable me to see the sharpest. That's a no-brainer. You know, the next thing that has exactly the same amount of value is the health analysis. In other words, hey, doctor, you shine that, you know, your miner's helmet into my eye. What did you see? Am I going to go blind? Am I going to die? And then the third thing that has exactly the same amount of value as the first two is the doctor's recommendations. Simple terms. But tell me, in other words, hey, doctor, you know my hobbies, you know my job, you know me from the welcome to the office form that I filled out and whatever, or I've seen you several times before. You know me by now. If it was you in my shoes, knowing what you know about all the different products, what would you yourself have? Don't try to judge me on what you think I can or cannot afford. Just tell me what you would have. And that's that third component. Then Let me put it in a different fashion. Adam, is it okay if I pick on you for a second? Absolutely. And this is what I say to my clients, too, to try to help get this point across. Let's say, Adam, that your lawnmower broke. It's not functioning anymore. You took it to the repair place, and they said it's going to be a couple of weeks before they get it done. This is busy season, right? Okay. Your grass is four or five inches tall, is looking terrible. Okay, so you're thinking, well, maybe I'll get somebody, I'll hire somebody to come and mow my lawn. So you, then you have a secondary thought, and that is, well, you know what? The hedges on each side of my boundary line on my home, they're really getting overgrown. Maybe I'll get a landscape company out here and mow the lawn, trim the hedges, and you know what? Two winters ago was pretty tough there. That the tree I have in the front yard, it's dead right now. I think I'll just have them pull that out as well. So, Adam, you call a landscape company, and they said, hey, that's great. I'll I'll be out there on Friday, and we'll get it all done. You come home on Friday evening. You pull up the hedges. They look fantastic. The lawn, it looks fantastic. That dead tree, still there. So, Adam, my question to you is how happy are you with the person that you hire to do those three things? Not very. Not very happy. (laughs) Let's just say – your next-door neighbor happens to be walking down the sidewalk and, and uh, says, hey, we were kind of kicking around getting a uh, landscape company to do some work for us too. What one do you recommend? Would you recommend that company?
0: Nope.
1: <laughs> no. So in other words, because they, you hired them to do three things, you, they only did two, now you probably won't go back to them again, and you probably won't refer anybody else. Same thing in the optometric triangle here they hire you for the refraction, the health analysis, and the recommendations. If they only get two, then there's a pretty good chance that that patient will not hire the doctor back again, nor will that patient refer others. This is how strong that recommendation thing really is. Um,
2: So one question I have then, how uh, do you use the case history form to end up having the patient ask you for the recommendations?
1: Yeah, and here's the deal. You know, to make this whole thing work and work flawlessly, and I I don't use the word flawlessly very often, by the way, unless I know for sure that it's flawless. To make this whole system work flawlessly, the very first thing that each doctor needs to have, besides that mental attitude I was telling you about earlier, is a mission statement and that mission statement needs to be in the reception area it needs to be maybe right by the front door when they walk in it needs to be in the examination rooms it needs to be in the pretest room as a matter of fact I remember going into a practice in Denver Colorado and the mission statement they had was as big as a door I mean it was all framed it was beautiful and I guarantee you anybody in that reception area could not have missed it But there's two things, of all the things that you might have on your mission statement, there's two things that I think are absolutely critical to get across to the patients to make this whole thing work right. And one is the promise to enhance the patient's quality of life. And the other one is to promise to educate each and every patient on the newest and best of technology. Because here's the deal. You take me into the examination room and all of a sudden you do the examination and all of a sudden then the doctor says, hey, I think you should have this. I think you should have that. And it's, in other words, the doctor's bringing it up. I'm, I'm with you guys. That doctor's a salesperson. And this is why so many doctors don't like this process. You are a salesperson if you're the one who brought it up. Now, if the patient brought it up, that's a whole other realm. So in other words... By the time that patient enters into the examination room and they start hearing the recommendations, they're going to know where it came from. The welcome to the office form, which we'll talk about here in just a minute. But more than anything, it came from your oath, that mission statement. Remember the one that says, you promised to educate me on the best of technology and you promised to enhance my quality of life. So now I'm going to expect the doctor to do it. Now, on your welcome to the office form, there also needs to be some, what we used to call years back as lifestyle questions. And a lot of people ask too, hey, where's the, where should I put these lifestyle questions? Should they be some of the first things we ask? Should they be a separate sheet? Which I know a lot of doctors have guinea pigged that and it didn't work very well. To be honest with you, if you're going to reformulate your welcome to the office and welcome back to the office forum, I recommend to have those lifestyle questions somewhere in the middle. I know it just sounds kind of strange, but it just works better that way. You would have questions like this are your eyes sensitive to sunlight do you sometimes experience dry eyes now keep in mind you may have another question on your form that actually asks the chronic question do you have dry eyes but i also want a question on there that simply states do you sometimes experience dry eyes do you work at a computer do you have concerns with reflection and glare do you spend time outdoors Are you interested in the newest in contact lens technology? Some doctors have the form on their form. Are you interested in contact lenses today? That's fine, but it'd be nice to kind of give the connotation that you guys are into the best of technology. And then another question would be, do you have children? So we can address the family issue here. Okay, so like I said earlier, it all depends on who brought it up. If you, the doctor, brought it up, your salesperson. If I brought it up through my welcome-to-the-office form or welcome-back-to-the-office form, then I brought it up, and that's what makes a big difference here.
0: Right. Can I actually ask you, as a follow-on question, um, You know, I've I've seen offices where they not only have the mission statement out there and, and all that information on the intake form, but in the waiting room as well, a lot of the vendors will actually supply you with marketing material. I think you mentioned transitions by name. Um, where they have a huge amount of consumer-facing information. Do you find that to be useful to have out in the waiting room as well?
1: Yeah. You you know, uh, not to try to advocate certain companies, but, you know, to to even have video, you know, like a nice little flat-screen television in your reception area with the revolving information, like the one side of the screen is – shows reflected glare. And then the other side shows what an anti-reflective coating can do for you and how transition lens works and drive wear and all the other kind of things. And take the magazines like the people magazines and everything that you have up there, take them out. I think you've got a, you've got patients in your reception area that are classified as captive audiences. And instead of them knowing who Tom Cruise married this week, to be able to watch all the different things, that are available, and that way many times the patient comes in and will start the conversation with the doctor by saying, hey, I saw the thing about transition lenses or whatever it happens to be. Do you think I'm a good candidate for that? you get my point? Right. So yes. yeah, all that, all that stuff is helpful.
2: Can you give us a, an example of, of how you'd recommend, you know, like a real-life example uh,
0: with, with the script that you would use with a rec- recommendation?
1: So you're asking me to play doctor. Yeah, Play play,
0: play doctor for a second because I know like you (laughs) you mentioned anti-reflective coatings and stuff like that. This is where a lot of people fall down. They get really nervous with the add-ons and this is, I think, where where things fall apart even more than than recommending material, you know, putting coatings on and stuff. So how does that actually work? Can you give us an example of how you you do that, you know, without feeling shame?
1: (laughs) Yeah, and here's the tough thing too. You know, I, I work with a lot of clients in this particular area and... Um, you know, sometimes, not very often, but sometimes, the I'll, I'll contact the doctor, you know, in a month or so later and ask, hey, in particular, how is the recommendations going? And sometimes I hear them saying, oh, you know what, Tom, I really never got onto that bandwagon yet because I'm afraid the very first time I do it, I'm going to trip over my tongue and look like the class clown. And so I just haven't got there yet. So I think hearing me do it was probably gonna be beneficial and then getting in front of the mirror and just rolling it a couple of three times before you actually go into your first patient, I think has a tremendous amount of value. So with that being said, let me play the doctor. Now before we do it though, again, I, I wanna I wanna I wanna clarify something. There's a lot of your colleagues out there that talk about this subject as what's called second pair sales. And I think that needs to be taken out of our language totally because in all honesty, well, first off, I think we could all agree that each and every person who does wear glasses should have prescription polarized lenses. We'd all agree on that. But what about another pair of glasses for like computer or, or golfing or fishing or something like that? So in other words, don't, before we get into it, don't just go with the premise that you're going to sell two pair of glasses. I think we need to, to make sure that we go over each and everything that that patient brings up on the welcome to the office form. And to be honest with you, many times that's three or four different things. I'm not saying you're always going to sell them, but, you, but nothing else. You planted a seed for them to think about. So next time they come in, they might. So
2: so is there, right. is there a script that you'll use? let, let Let's hear what, what you would say. Yeah, yeah.
1: Let me go ahead and, and do this. And, and keep in mind, too, I'll, I'll give you both the long version and the short version. The short version is what the doctor should be saying in the examination room. The long version is kind of the explanation of this thing. And the long version also is probably what your optician would be saying to the patient afterwards. Because here's the deal. I don't want this to take any more than a couple of extra minutes in the examination room. So, Well, let's just use a hypothetical patient. We'll call him Jim, how's that? Good. And I'm at the end of the examination with Jim, and I've asked Jim, hey Jim, do you have any questions, any concerns about any of the tests that we've ran for you today and that slight change in your prescription? And Jim's reply many times is, no doctor, I think you pretty much answered everything as we went along, so nope, I don't don't have any other questions. Great, well Jim, before you leave today, There's a couple of things that you brought up on your welcome to the office form or welcome back to the office form that I'd like to quickly review with you. Now I'm going to push the pause button for a second because sometimes there's a patient, this patient, Jim, may have been coming into this practice for the last 10 years and has never had this happen before. So sometimes the doctors are a little bit reluctant to kind of change their mode. So if that's the case, I suggest the doctor to use... The verbiage of, hey, Jim, I know that all these times you've been in before, I have thought about talking about this to you, but real, we just never really seem to have the time. But I'm going to make the time today and then get right into this. Jim, it says here that your eyes are sensitive to sunlight. Allow my staff to show you what I recommend for that. I have a couple pairs of them on my own. I wouldn't be without them. It's called a polarized lens. Obviously, that's the short version, and that's where it needs to end with the doctor. Then it'll continue with the optician about how the lenses are made and so on, and I won't bore you with the details. Jim, it says here that you sometimes experience dry eyes. Now, I love this one because there was a really dramatic thing that happened in my life that I'd like to share with a lot of people on the dry eye thing. And here's the thing. When asked about the dry eye. So in other words, you say, hey, Jim, you sometimes experience dry eyes. Can you give me a little clue as to when it happens, where it happens, how often it happens? And I'm surprised at how many patients, and you will be too when you ask the same question, that typically will say something like this. Well, you know what? I never seem to have this problem in the mornings. It's always in the afternoon. And I never seem to have this problem on the weekends, it's only just during the week, but at right around three o'clock, four o'clock, my eyes get pretty dry and pretty irritated, and then I use this bottle of murine or visine that I keep on my desk. Okay, but I hate using drops. Now, this would be a good segue into why the patient shouldn't be using a vasoconstrictor, but more than anything, this would be the time to explain to them like what's really happening with their eyes. And many times, too, the patients will even follow it up by saying, but it's probably the air conditioning system that's causing that to happen. Or in the wintertime, it's probably the forced air furnace that's causing that dry eye thing to happen. Right, doctor? Well, Jim, you're partially right, but here's the deal. Probably more than anything, because you're an architect or because you're in front of the computer as much as you are, you're an accountant, whatever it happens to be, your blink rate when you're working is probably pretty slow. In other words, when we're talking, just you and I in this examination room, our blink rate's right around six, seven times a minute. If you were a female, you'd be a little bit more than that. But when you get in front of your spreadsheets or your blueprints or whatever it happens to be, your blink rate goes down considerably. And so by the time three o'clock rolls around, it's not uncommon for the corneal tissue to be fairly dehydrated. And instead of using those eye drops that you just mentioned that you hate to use, I recommend we use a thing called punctal plugs. As a matter of fact, I've got a chart right here on my wall that shows what they look like and where they're located at. Now here's the deal. I'd love to share this with you because this is a life changing story for me. I had a client in Oregon who, as I was reviewing their profit and loss statement, they were very anal with their entries of income. In other words, there was an actual line item that said punctal plugs and there was $1,400 written on that entry. So I asked the doctor, I said, and this doctor had an associate with him as well. And I said, tell me a little bit about the punctal plugs. He goes, well, we're very aggressive on our fees. We charge a global fee and we charge $700. And I said, oh, okay, if that's the case, then you probably, it looks like you saw two punctal plug patients last year. And he said, yeah. I said, is that pretty common? And I said, well, let's do this. Let's add that question onto your welcome to the office form. Do you sometimes experience dry eyes? And then I'm gonna ask you to review it with a patient just like the example I just gave you and let's see what happens. He faxes me his stat sheet for the end of the month, right after that, that they put this in their welcome to the office form that generated over $8,000 of punctal plugs, now one month. Wow. Two doctors. Yeah, which is phenomenal. And the funny thing was I bumped into him at Vision Expo not too long ago and I asked him, I said, Are you still rocking the world with Punk the Plugs? He goes, Well, not rocking the world, but he says, as rule of thumb, usually anywhere between five to six thousand dollars additional income every month.
2: Hmm. Amazing. That's
1: huge. Just yeah, amazing. And the nice thing is this guy does an awful lot of uh, speaking, billing and coding, speaking and stuff like that up in the Northwest region. And he's, at the end of every conversation he has with people, he also says, gang, we're not doing our full scope of optometry like we should be. And he gets, he does a little five-minute routine just on punctal plugs, which is pretty cool. Okay, getting back to this. I'm starting to digress. We, we can't have that. All <laughs> right. Jim, it says you work on a computer. Allow my staff to show you what life would be like with computer lenses. Of course, the long version is, again, how the optician explains computer lenses and all this kind of stuff to them. Jim, and here's a big one. Jim, it says here that you spend time outdoors. What do you do when you're outdoors? Oh, you know what? I love to golf. My wife has threatened divorce a couple times over it, but any opportunity I have, I'm out there on the golf course. Really? Jim, you know, I'm going to have my staff member – my optician show you a pair of glasses that we had our laboratory make that's made just for people like you who love to golf now that's the short version the long version is something that you might want to grab a pen and piece of paper and jot this down we do an awful lot or we did an awful lot of golf glasses in our practice and what we all the thing we did we purposely told the patient that we, didn't, we would not put polarized lens in there because golf professionals say that they have a harder time reading the greens with a polarized lens. But what we would do is we would use a tint. Now, right now, there's several different tints available, so I'd recommend you contact your laboratory and see what they recommend. But to tell Jim that, that this tint that we put in the lens will help you see your golf ball against a blue sky or green grass much better than ever before. But here's the magic of it, if you're a presbyote, we always we only put one bifocal in one lens. Jim, are you a right-handed golfer? Yes, I am. We put that in the right lens then. We put it in the lower outermost area of that right lens. We call it in the industry, it's a flat top, I'm sorry, it's a round twenty-two. It's about the size of a dime, Jim. So in other words, when you're looking to your left, you're always to to line up all your drives, your putts, whatever. No bifocal interference whatsoever. When you're ready to keep your scorecard or look at the menu at lunch. Bring your chin up, look over to your right, boom, that bifocal takes over, and you can do whatever you need to do that. And, Jim, we'll make sure we put it in a good sturdy case. We'll leave it right in your golf bag. Now, I think all of us know a lot of people who spend an awful lot of money on their golf clubs, and like a good friend of mine who tries, I'd say by now probably 20 sets of golf clubs, over the years to see if a golf club would correct his nasty slice that he has. So to be able to offer a pair of glasses that cost maybe three four hundred dollars that will pretty much guarantee to stroke or shave a couple strokes off the game yeah sign me up. Jim it says here that you like to fish or, or Jim maybe said you like to fish. Well Jim, there's a pair of glasses I'm going to have our our optician show you that's geared just for people like you who love to fish. And again, that's the short version. The long version the optician would be, or from the optician would sound like this. Jim, here's how it works. We, first off, we use a gray polarized lens so you get true colors and you won't be able to see much of the glare off the water at all. So you won't have that thing that you probably heard called snow blindness. Now, the other thing that we do is we make sure that we put flat top 25s in this or flat top 28s, either one, but we... Guarantee not to put them any higher than 10 millimeters tall. Because, Jim, here's the deal. If you were to Google right here, right now, these three words, boating, accidents, and fishing, you're going to see some results that are pretty alarming of how many people actually fall into the water out of their boats and actually drown. And it's not always alcohol-induced. Because here's the deal, many times these people are wearing progressive lenses and they stand up in their boat to get this, that or the other and they trip over something that is on the floor and why they can't see it is because of the bifocal interference. So Jim, what we're gonna do is we're gonna get a pair of polarized lenses for you, flat top 28s on both sides. We're gonna make sure that that bifocal is no higher than 10 millimeters. So when you do bait your hook or whatever, you just have to raise your chin up a little high. Otherwise you're not gonna have any bifocal interference whatsoever. And Jim, we'll make sure we put them in a good sturdy case. You can leave them right in your tackle box. All right. You see where I'm going with this. There's a lot of people that play piano and we'll make piano glasses for them and all this other kind of stuff. Right. But until the doctor actually investigates their hobbies and so on, that conversation will never take place.
0: Right. So at this point, you know the hobbies that the person has and you understand sort of their needs. Here's my question. So let's say you've made the recommendation and now it all comes down to price. I know that some people might feel uncomfortable, especially when a doctor has, has made these really detailed recommendations saying, no, that's not really for me. Um, and the resistance really isn't that it's not for them, it's that the price isn't for them. So what can you do in that case where a patient really feels like, gosh, I really don't want to spend this, even though I really do kind of want to listen to what the doctor has to say?
1: Yeah, well, keep in mind, too, that that the doctor's role, regardless, well, let me backtrack a little bit. We're in the examination room with Jim. First thing I'd like to get across to the doctors that are listening to this is I'm going to highly recommend that you keep your examination room holy sacred ground. In other words, nothing gets discussed in this room except medical. Okay. If anybody asks about prices or anything like that, you know, this is when you're going to have to act stupid and <laughs> act like you don't know. And basically right. say, you know what? I'm not 100% sure, but I'll turn you over to my optician, and they'll be able to answer all these questions for you. Right. It's the doctor's role to make the recommendations of what they would get if it was them and in and those shoes. Okay. So we've got that clear, right? Yep. Now the resistance happens typically in the. Well, let me backtrack a little bit on this too. I'm amazed of how many practices that I visit that, as soon as the patient is done they go right into the dispensing area. They go right into the frame area and start looking at frames. So, with the efforts of the optician, more times than not, what we're trying to do is find that one particular frame that's gonna be used for their everyday glasses, correct? Okay, I'm gonna ask each and every listener out there to change it up. You're gonna get some resistance from your staff, they're gonna think that you're smoking crack or whatever, And it's not going to work, but it works phenomenally. Now, it doesn't take care of the pricing thing, but here's the – imagine this. Imagine – because right when I'm done making the recommendations to Jim, I'm going to ask him one more time, do you have any other questions or any other concerns? Chances are Jim's going to say, nope, I think you've you've got me filled up. All right, let me turn you over to my frame and lens expert, and then now there's a transition, whether that happens – by the doctor bringing the staff member out or the doctor summons or the doctor has a scribe somewhat irrelevant but there's a transition saying hey Betty Betty's our optician Betty this is Jim Jim this is Betty and Jim you're giving great hands with Betty she's our frame and lens expert and Betty these are the things that we discussed in the examination room okay and again the doctor goes right down all these recommendations <laughs> now I'm going to recommend the doctors to also say, so Betty, could you do me a huge favor and show him how these lenses all work first before you do anything? Okay, now that was a direct instruction from the doctor to Betty. Now, what is Betty supposed to do? Take the patient over to the lens demonstration area and show how these lenses work. Because what's going to happen in many cases is – the patient's going to try these sample glasses on, and I do highly recommend having them made up in complete pairs of glasses. In other words, computer glasses, I will have no prescription at the top, and I'll have maybe a plus two add at the bottom. It doesn't need to be my exact prescription, but I need to just be able to put them on and within a second understand the concept of how that lens works. Same thing with the fishing glasses, the golf glasses, every other thing you can imagine. So you, Betty then shows Jim how these lenses work. And this also solidifies why the doctor recommended it to Jim. Jim right now is thinking, wow, you know what? That is really, really cool. And maybe it was a polarized lens because of the eye, the light sensitivity. So Jim is going to experience how that progressed. Oh, I'm sorry, that polarized lens works. And he's going to say, wow, this is great. So now by the time we're done demonstrating all the lenses, are we going over to the frame area to look just for one frame now?
2: Absolutely not.
1: No, no, I, I, no. Right now, I want three different kinds of lenses for these things that the doctor recommended. So now let's talk about price resistance, <laughs> okay? Because yeah. you'll be amazed at how many gyms are out there that will say, "Hey, you know what? I don't care what it costs. That's going to be great. Let's do it." You'll be amazed.
2: Well, then, then the next logical question is. There, there's the spouse along. He says, "What are you talking about, Jim?" Um, oh, oh yeah, it happens all the time. Yeah, you don't, you yeah, don't need any, all of these things. It's ridiculous. Uh, yeah, so, any, do you do you offer discounts or any any incentive to to make make the sale happen or for these multifunctional glasses?
1: All right, great question. Okay, and let me let me demonstrate this for a second. Let me just kind of get this point across. Um. Okay. For any of you out there, let's try to pick an occupation that is kind of an unsung hero. I'd, I'd put an unsung hero in the classification of a school teacher. Uh, these school teachers, they do an awful lot of work. They bring their work home with them and continue to grade papers all night long and the whole nine yards. And I think those of you who are, have been school teachers or are married to school teachers or have relatives to school teachers, you'll understand what I'm about to say that for the amount of work and the amount of hours that they put in, they're kind of underpaid, kind of like optometry, right? Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. And so, but I want you to prove this theory. Go to any school. I don't care if it's a grade school, a middle school, a high school. It makes no difference. Drive into the area where the teachers park, and you tell me if you don't see a really nice lexus suv bmw convertible etc etc okay on a teacher's salary nonetheless okay so a lot of people will think well they're probably married to somebody who has a better better paying job well i'd say it, there's a lot of teachers that are also married to teachers so that doesn't hold a lot of weight chances are when they went into the car dealer to look at cars because their chevrolet celebrity had 150,000 miles on it the car dealer or the salesperson, probably said something like this. Yeah, I know that's an awful lot of money for a Lexus SUV or a BMW convertible, but you know what? We can get you into that vehicle for $320 a month. Really? That's what I was paying for my Chevrolet Celebrity when I bought it. You can get me into a vehicle for $320 a month? Sign me up. It's not the price. It's how you can put this into a monthly budget. And if you can make it fit into my monthly budget, there's a pretty good chance I'm going to get it. So you can utilize something like care credit. I, I have a little bit of, of, well, you should have a plan B, I think, with care credit because not everybody's going to get approved, right? So you you might even introduce your own in-house payment plan where you accept three checks or you put down their debit card or credit card number and you do this over a three-month increment. And uh, don't send statements. They don't like that concept. But make it easy for them to afford to get this, and you'll see some drastic changes.
0: Do you ever recommend – well, well, Tom, do you ever recommend having multiple products at your disposal that do kind of the same thing? Sort of like when you walk into a BMW dealer, you can get a 5 Series or a 3 Series. It all depends on how much you're willing to spend.
1: Yeah. uh, You know, the the thing is – and I'm not all all that concerned with what the interest rate might be, this, that, or the other – To the consumer, they want to know, can you make this fit into my budget? So, yeah, I'd say as many multiple arenas that you could have available that you could uh, finance this for them, by all means, do it.
2: Right. So then the the other question is uh, when when they hear the price, uh, you see them inching towards the door (laughs) and you're sensing (laughs) that they're going to go to a mail order house Uh. and try to get – get all of these things that are a marked discount. How, how do you stop them from, from leaving? <laughs>
0: they whip out at their phone and they're like, excuse me, I'm going to look something up right now.
1: <laughs> yeah, yeah. And you know what? Here's the deal. It's not rampant right now, but you're going to see a lot more of that as time goes on, you know, as, as how easy it is right now to take a barcode and scan it with your smartphone and find out who's got the lowest price now and stuff like that. It's phenomenal. Um, so, yeah, you're going you're gonna to get a little bit of that. But here's the deal. You've got to backtrack a little bit and still say, ask yourself, did the doctor do a great job in the examination room? And did the doctor do a great job in the recommendations? Obviously, they did. Did the optician do a really, really good job of, of fulfilling that mission statement also by demonstrating to me what the doctor recommended, which these things are going to enhance my quality of life? Yes, you are going to get some people out there that are going to try to shop around and go the internet market and stuff like that, which we should talk about here in just a minute. But yeah, I think, again, odds are, you know, if you were to take this concept to Las Vegas, you're probably going to win a lot more than you ever would otherwise. In other words, if the doctor doesn't bring them up and the optician doesn't show them first, it's never going to happen, right? Sure. Absolutely. Yeah. So what you're doing is you're you're increasing your odds of winning. So yeah, expect to have a little bit more of that. Because remember last time Jim was in an optometric practice, he spent 320 bucks. Now if he goes home and tells his wife he spent $800 at the eye doctor, you can imagine what that conversation will be like.
0: You yeah. know, you know, Tom, it's sort of interesting. We had a, a webinar recently all about the new devices that allow you to actually uh, fabricate the lens yourself in office in real time in about 30 minutes. Do you think that right, I was a, a part of that. Yeah, so do you think that can make a difference in this sort of a situation?
1: As far as, as cost, cost reduction or, or, or... Ca-
0: capturing a sale, do you think that makes a difference to some people? You know, if they're planning to order on the Internet, the odds are it's going to take a, at least a little while to actually get their their glasses in. So I sort of wonder if, right. if you can get the product to them quickly. Because it seems to me, you know, you're seeing the, the trend in retail, like with, with Best Buy, which it's amazing that they're hanging on, but it's, you know, by their fingernails. The only reason they're right. still there is because people can actually take home the product with them that day. Um, and I'm yeah. sort of wondering if, if it does make a difference.
1: Well, I, I definitely think it makes a difference. You know, I'm a, I'm a huge advocate. Not a lot of people know this, but I'm a huge advocate of in-house laboratories. The, the thing that makes it tougher nowadays is because the, you know... VSP regulations and stuff like that that you haven't been able to fabricate your own for such a long time, and now they will allow it in several states, but again, you still have to buy the lenses from VSP at an escalated price, so uh, that makes it tough. It's sure. very tough, I've but had... yeah, whenever you can whenever you can do something and fabricate it in-house, I'm 100% with it. The problem that sometimes occurs is like what Dr. Paul had just mentioned a little bit ago, what about giving them a discount? You know, I'd say whoever puts this great technology into their practice, the last thing that they should ever do is discount that product because they got it cheaper.
2: Right. Now, I have one final question because we're sort of running out of time. But, uh, you know, you're, you're a consultant, and I assume you go into offices uh, to, to evaluate practices. Uh, do you ever listen to the, uh, the dialogue when, when the doctors are speaking to patients or the assistant is speaking to patients, do you ever criticize their... I'm thinking basically of every time I get on an airplane, I hear the flight attendant give their speech and it almost sounds like a robot talking. Do people uh, in, in offices, after they say the same thing over and over again, sound like they're just robots? So do you ever evaluate uh, what, what the doctors are saying or the, or the staff is saying to patients and criticize?
1: Well... Yes and no, but here's the deal. You've got to remember, too, that patient only comes in contact with you, the doctor, usually once a year, once a year and a half, depending on what's all going on and how charismatic the doctor happens to be. The doctor, on the other hand, is in contact with 15, 20 patients saying exactly the same thing all day long. If anybody's going to get tired of hearing it, it's the doctor.
0: (laughs) Right. Yeah,
1: it's, it's definitely not the patient.
0: Well, Tom, and I, I got another question sort of in a similar vein. You know, you've seen a lot of practices, and once the doctor has their pitch down, when they hand everything off to the optician, have you actually seen cases where, optician, where the quality of the optician really does make a difference in making the sale finally, where you have the doctor giving the same pitch, two different opticians, and radically different outcomes?
1: Oh, yeah. You know, I'll, I'll share this. I, I won't say who it was <clears throat> because they may be listening – but um, I was at a practice just last week, and this this optician, great gal, absolutely phenomenal gal, was helping this, this patient. And when the patient started looking at frames, she said to the optician, "I uh, you know I broke well, my dog actually ate my last pair of glasses, which was true. She's a contact lens patient, but she says I don't want to rely on just one pair of glasses anymore. I'm going to get two while I'm here." So they started looking at frames. They brought the frames to the dispensing table. They were writing up the orders, and she was saying how much it was going to be. And, of course, this patient wanted all the bells and whistles, so the, the amount came to a pretty high amount. <clears throat> and what blew me away, I mean, I was standing there five feet away just waiting for her to say well, you know what, we have this thing called care credit, and they actually had a little display with the brochures right there at the dispensing table. I was expecting her to come right out and say this, and the patient says, yeah, you know what, that's a little bit more than I was kind of planning on spending. Maybe I ought to just get this one, and the optician's reply was, okay, you know, how can somebody be in that realm of an optician for so many years and have such a great personality and stuff like that, and not be focused on what's going to be the best for the patient. Right. Because I guarantee you if she would have offered her a method to pay for it, she would have gotten that other pair of glasses and probably so many other patients that they see on a day-to-day basis. So, yeah, as far as your kind of question of of getting proper training and the quality optician, yeah, it's paramount. It's kind of like, well, you've heard it before, that the chain is only as strong as its weakest link.
0: Right. Sure. All right. Well, Tom, I think we're just about running out of time. Do you have any sort of parting words for, for uh, the Wire audience?
1: Well, yeah, I will. Um, there might be some of you that still kind of in the back of your mind think that, uh, you know what, my patients aren't going to like this recommendation thing at all. I have got to share this with you. I went and visited a client in uh, New Jersey and, um, uh, I asked him if I could sit in on a couple of his examinations just to watch him in action. And his reply was, he says, you know, Tom, you're more than welcome to, but when it comes to me making recommendations in the examination room, you're not going to like what you hear. And then he physically took his finger and started poking it in my chest, and he said, because I didn't go to optometry school for four years to become a salesperson. (laughs) Okay, you're going to envision that, huh? So I asked the doctor, I said, hey, let me prove a point here. This is 100% true. I'm not fabricating one little iota out of this. I said, show me the chart of the next patient you're going to see. And he opened it up, and he said, this patient's been a patient of ours for the last five years. I've seen him five times in a row, and as a matter of fact, he's becoming a good friend of mine as well. And on the welcome back to the office forum, we had those lifestyle questions on there about the computer. And I asked the doctor, I said, doctor, this guy works on a computer. Do you work on a computer? And his reply was, yeah, I do. As a matter of fact, when I get home especially, I put the laptop, you know, while I'm eating dinner even. I've just got the laptop going. I'm playing around with it. I'm having a great time. And I said, do you happen to have a pair of glasses that's made for a computer? He goes, well, yeah, it's, it's this particular computer lens. He loved it. I said, tell your patient that. And I said, the patient also said his eyes were sensitive to sunlight. And I don't see any record that he ever got sunglasses in the past. Are your eyes sensitive to sunlight? He goes, well, yeah, I've got two pair of polarized lenses. I wouldn't be without them. Tell them this. And then I said, okay, doctor, I'm not even going to sit on the next examination because it's going to make you feel uncomfortable. But I do want you to make these recommendations. And then I'm going to be in in the dispensing area acting like I'm looking at frames. And then when the patient comes back out, I'm going to ask the patient a couple of questions. When the patient was at the dispensing table writing up the order for the second pair of glasses, by the way, and the patient also had a contact lens brochure in his hand, which I was so proud of the doctor for even bringing that up to him, I asked this patient two questions. First question was, did the doctor do a good examination for you? After I introduced myself to him, and he said, oh, the doctor did a great job. As a matter of fact, this is the best eye examination I've ever had. Then I asked him the second question, which was, do you feel that even for a second, the doctor was trying to sell you something? Now, I wish I had a tape recorder, because if I did at that time, I'd be playing it back for all of you right here, right now. I will never forget it. I can close my eyes and recreate it. Word for word, this is what he said. Oh, my gosh, no. As a matter of fact, this is the only doctor who ever bothered to take the time to find out what I really needed. I want to repeat that. This is the only doctor who ever bothered to take the time to find out what I really needed. That's That's the third
2: thing that they hire you for. Amazing story. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, Really, really cool
0: stuff. Yeah. That's, I think that's a great way to end. And I think uh, Tom, you know, I think the conversation can continue when this goes up on ODWire, maybe in this discussion thread, we can keep talking about ideas and strategies Um, And see how ODY members are actually implementing some of your recommendations, because I'm really curious to hear how it works out in the field. And also, uh, those uh, those ODs that that are listening,
2: it's a good idea possibly to replay this again for your staff, uh, because there's a a partnership in in the dispensing aspect. Uh, It's the doctor and the dispenser that work in tandem. So it would be a good idea to have them listen to your program as well. Good
0: advice. Absolutely. All right. Well, Tom, thanks so much for coming today, and I guess we'll see you online.
1: Uh, It's been an absolute pleasure, and thanks for having me.